All right. Well, I am glad to be here with you this morning. Mark uh, calls me at least once a year and says, hey, uh, can you come share with my family? And I am honored to share with uh, this church family. You guys have walked with me a little bit through some different stages of life. One of the uh, newest developments for us, and she disappeared for some reason, but um, uh, um, our daughter, we finally got to adopt her after three years in April. Yes, and so uh, that's a long journey. So um, Norma, um, if you can keep CPS out of it, do it. Um, uh, it's, it makes things go a little slower, but it's necessary to take care of our kiddos. And so um, again, I am uh, uh, just glad to be here with you guys this morning. Um, so let's dig in together as we get into the book of Ephesians. Chapter 2 is going to be our primary text. We will jump around a little bit, maybe into one, to set some things up. But I, again, um, am, am, I want to pray to get started, uh, and then give you a little bit of background on why I picked this particular text. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us. You uh, show us how you have worked in history, uh, your intended purpose for people, and how we step into that picture, how we fit into that, and how you continue to work in our lives today. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray that we would walk in that. We would learn what it is to truly be Christ followers, Lord, and help us to have the confidence knowing that you are with us every step of the way. Lord, speak to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so have you ever been in a situation or, or a place where you were just really stuck? You were stuck in a place that you, you couldn't get out of. No matter what you tried, no matter how hard you struggled or worked, you, you were just stuck. The kind of stuck, you know, that feels awkward and it feels gross. Uh, it's uncomfortable and it's hopeless. There's just this, no matter what you do, you're just sitting there going, I'm never going to get out of this. Nothing's going to ever be any different. That's, that's a very miserable place to be, isn't it? And I know, I know that we've all been there um, for different reasons, but I, I want to share with us this morning uh, how we can get unstuck or how we have become unstuck. And we'll find that uh, in the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead and turn there and, and settle there for a minute. But my family and I, we just got back from Colorado a week ago today. We had a, a wonderful trip. Actually, my daughter calls it Codorado, um, which I'm going to keep saying that because it's cute. So we got back and uh, I was reminded of uh, a trip that I went on with a youth group one time to Codorado. I had been at Central Christian Church for about six months. I thought, I need to do some bonding with this church family. I need to get to know the students better. I kind of came in toward the end of the summer, so I didn't have like the camp experiences and, and any of those things. And so myself and some of the sponsors, and of course a handful of the kids, who doesn't want to go skiing, right? I decided, let's go on a ski trip between Christmas and New Year's. That sounds like a wonderful idea. And so as I was driving through the mountains this past week, I was reminded of that trip, and I want to share with you uh, a sticky situation that we got ourselves into. 
we were um, about uh, probably about an hour from our destination. We were up in the mountains. The roads were getting a lot worse than we had anticipated they would be. We had tire chains in the van, but we were from Texas. We don't really know how to put chains on tires. So we thought we'll just wait until we get close enough um, and we'll stop and do that. So as we uh, get to about the point where we are ready to go, okay, we got to put chains on the tires. The driver of this van, who will remain nameless, um, wasn't quite paying as much attention as they should have been. And we slid off the road, van full of kids, other adults, other lives, right? Off the road, and we slid into this giant snowdrift, or the snowbank. The van is leading like 60, 70 degrees on the side of the mountain. Fortunately, we weren't the other way, right? Because it would have been down the mountain. So, yeah, God, God was there um, reminding us that, you know, don't be stupid, put tire chains on the tires, right? So, we're leaning 70 degrees, 60, 70 degrees. This, all you see on this side of the van, snow. You can't open the doors to get out. The backs, again, we're just in this giant snow drift, snow bank, whatever you call it. It wasn't fun. Um, the only way out of this van was to climb out through the driver's door, which was up in the air. Now, we, we would have been all right with that, except for no one was really dressed for below freezing weather. We were in a nice warm van heading to a nice warm hotel, right? And so had we got out of the van, it would have not been any better. We would have still just been in a really bad situation. So no one wanted to get out of this van. In fact, it was so cold when we got to the, finally got to the top of the mountain, it was zero degrees. Um, that's cold. I mean, we, we experienced that this past winter, right? Um, zero degrees. That is not good. So we weren't dressed for it. We weren't prepared for it. And I remember thinking... I've been here six months. I will have taken out half of the youth group and several adults. Um, and I'd only been married for about eight months at the time. So uh, my new wife, I will have killed her as well. Um, not, not good. Uh, and then even if we survived, I was certain that I would lose my job when we got home for uh, putting us in this situation. I'm not saying I was driving, but I won't tell you who was. Um, but I was certain that, that it was over for me at, at Central. Uh, I felt hopeless and I felt helpless. We were stuck and there was nothing we could do to get out. And we tried to use our cell phones. Have you guys ever driven through the mountains? Cell phones don't work very well in the mountains. So you're just toast, right? I'm stuck. We were stuck. There's nothing any of us in the van could have done. Fortunately, well, I'll tell you that part later. Don't, don't get upset. I'll finish the story. Relax. Paul, Paul reminds the church in Ephesus that mankind is, is like we were in that van. We were stuck and we were in a bad way. And mankind in its natural state we're stuck and we're in a bad way. Um, anybody ever felt like that? Um, so let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, um, and we're going to read starting in verse 11. We're going to jump around to go to one a little bit cause, to set up what Paul's sharing with the church here. But chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Therefore, 
remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth. Your natural state is you were apart from God. You weren't God's people. By those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without the hope and without God in the world. Paul's reminding them, this church, because they were having some issues. All churches have issues, right? Let's, let's not pretend we don't. Um, we all got issues. We're working through them, right? But this church had some issues. They were excluding certain people from being able to worship and to be able to practice. And they were getting set in some old ways. Paul's trying to pull them in and say, listen, we're all stuck. Doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a Gentile or whether you have this. But you've got to remember, your natural state of being is stuck. You're separated from Christ. Just how separated were they? Well, um, he goes on in chapter 1, or sets it up in chapter 1, verse 19. He says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. So here we are, dead, right? Where's Christ? He's raised, right? He's over and he's above all the things of this world. Everything that we can engage in that is not in Christ separates us from God. Separates us from Christ. This is a big gap. This is a big dilemma. This is a big problem. He's saying, listen, Christ is not dead. People, people are dead. This is the natural state of things. For us to become and to be with Christ, this has to get resolved. This has to be fixed. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, he reminded them another great encouraging statement that we were by nature deserving of wrath. Wow, I just want to sit and listen to Paul's sermons all day long, right? You're separated from Christ, you have no life, and then it's wrath for you. And that's our natural state of being. That's what we're born into. But because, he says it's because you follow the prince of the air, again, that idea of prince of the air isn't just like one person that does bad things. It's like there are all these things floating around in the air. Air is all around you. It's the things, it's what you breathe, it's what you consume, it's what you take in, it's what engulfs you. And you're just following the whims of the world. You're following the prince of the air. You are not letting God lead your life. He says, it's because you're doing that, because you're looking to satisfy your flesh. And you're following the ways of this world that, that leads you to this place of wrath. In their natural state, they followed all of the things that Christ had been raised above. And if we want to be with Christ, we've got to be raised. How does that happen? We'll talk about that in a second. But this state, this natural state of being, this walking through life on our own, trying to do things on our own, trying to save ourselves, trying to make ourselves better, it leads us to a place of wrath. Now, I'm not going to... Uh, try to scare the hell out of you this morning. I'll let Mark do that. That's his job to teach you about hell and, 
and all of those things. But I do want you to take note of God's wrath. It's not a fun thing. It's not an easy thing. It's a little different than mama's wrath. Anybody ever been subject to your mama's wrath? Yeah, it's not, it's not a happy place, is it? Or the wrath of dad's belt. Anybody ever had that sting? Um, not fun, but those pale in comparison to God's wrath. Um, now, uh, many of us hear this term, the wrath of God, and we see this giant, like, hangman in the sky, right, ready to, to chop heads or to, to give out lashes when we do something wrong. And that's not really what this is trying to communicate to us. It's not trying to communicate any pleasantries about the wrath of God, for sure. But it's, it's not, the idea of God's wrath is not this angry guy who's looking to strike down humanity because it has sin. God knew when he created us that we would sin. So if, if that is um, our end goal or his end goal for us, then how is he a loving God? Right, we've got to somehow rectify those two ideas, God's wrath and, and love. And so I, I want to propose, well, if you look at the Old Testament, we do see things going south for people, right? If you look at um, uh, nations who opposed God, who forgot, fought Israel, God ended up wiping out entire races and nations of people, right? They all died, women children, right? At one point he destroyed the whole world. How? Flood. Because um, of his wrath. Now that is uh, interesting when you start talking about flood and water. That imagery in the Old Testament is, is a sign of God's judgment. So God's judgment covered the whole earth and it destroyed the sin. Now, that doesn't mean Noah and his family were perfect. That's who he chose to save by his grace, right? But this idea of wrath is more so of God's righteous judgment over sin than it is of punishing evil. Does that make sense? And so judgment involves hell if you don't have a relationship with Christ. And so that is negative, that is bad and scary, but that's not God's motive, is it? to bring harm to his people. And we'll, we'll see the opposite of that through these scriptures. And then in, in, math, in Romans chapter 1, verse 8, again, we see the wrath coming out in the New Testament. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The new covenant doesn't end God's wrath. It continues this notion of judgment. If you do not have a relationship with Christ, if you are not in Christ, wrath is your natural state of being. That is where you will end up. And he goes on, Paul goes on to explain to the church in the next couple of chapters how this wicked living would bring about judgment. And so I think this is where scripture reconciles that idea. If you live in the law, you would be judged by the law, right? He says, and no one can live perfectly under the law. Again, this judgment is a natural consequence of our natural state of being. And so for those who Paul is talking to, he tells them, that uh, hell will be um, the judgment that you would face. 
Now, again, I'm not going to go into the, the details of hell, but I do want to point out a couple of brief things. Number one is in Revelation 21.8. Um, there's an eternal lake of fire. That's fire forever. Don't want anything to do with that. Anybody want some fire forever? No one? No fire forever? All right. Um, sinners go there. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be around people who are going to stab me in the back for eternity. Anybody else want that, that, that circle of friends? No? No. Um, it's a place where you're shut out from God's presence for eternity. Um, I don't know about you, but it takes God to get me through the day. Um, and I don't want eternity, certainly, without him. And then in Matthew uh, 13, there's clearly the, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. That just sounds miserable. Anybody up for that place on a vacation stop? Hey, let's stop there on the side of the road. We got plenty of time. Uh, I think I'll pass, right? It just doesn't sound fun to be the object of God's wrath. You're dead, you're apart from Christ, and the afterlife seems a bit miserable. I'll take Dad's belt over that any day. And that's saying something. See, this is a stuck forever kind of pain. And there's no way out. And there's nothing you can do about it. This is our natural state of being. But the great, the great news is God has done something about it. So here we are, stuck on the side of the road in a snowbank, wondering if we would freeze to death. My mind, I'm thinking of all the movies I've ever seen, right? Gasoline's going to start pouring out of the gas tank, and someone's going to throw a cigarette on the grass, and it's going to explode the van, and we're all going to burn to death in the freezing snow, right? My mind is, when we're desperate, our mind goes all kinds of crazy places. We start imagining things that just really aren't. I mean, how is the gas tank going to start leaking? But I was there. I was starting to freak out. I was about to have a nervous breakdown, and, and, and I know a nervous breakdown is nothing to laugh about. I'm not trying to be funny about that, but I literally was at a place where I was wigging out. I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And right about that time, this guy comes up and he bangs on the side of the van. He says, hey, I have a four-wheel drive truck, and I have some chains. Can I pull you out? No, no, we're happy right here. We'll... <laughs> We'll just stay here for a little while. We'll wait till it melts. And then the van can fall over the rest of the way, right? No. We're like, yes. So he comes, he hooks us up, he tries to pull. His car's having trouble. It's a big 15-passenger van full of people who aren't getting out because it's cold. And so, um, and we can't because the doors are all shut against the snow. So another guy comes with his truck, and they hook the chain up. They take two trucks, and they pull us out of the snow. We say thank you. They go about their business, and we are unstuck. Did we do anything to get unstuck? No, we did something to get stuck, but we didn't do anything to get unstuck. And I believe that those men were equipped by God and put in that place for that purpose, to get us unstuck. And the good news is we went on to have a great week. Uh, or a couple of days, it was three days on the ski mountain, which it was zero degrees at the top, which is colder than I like, even in a ski suit. But it's, it's uh, an amazing experience to bond with your church family on trips. 
I went on. I didn't get fired. I didn't even get uh, reprimanded. Um, I think the details were kept hush-hush by the driver. Um, but uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, I wasn't the driver, I'm telling you. It wasn't me. Um, and so we went on to have a great week and a great experience. I didn't get fired. I, was, I got to serve that family for seven and a half more years. And um, it was just a joy uh, to do that. But I was possibly the most... Um, experienced the most gratitude I had ever experienced in my life because it saved my job, my wife, uh, people I genuinely cared about. Um, the van wasn't laying over sideways. I mean, there was a lot of things that could have really gone bad that didn't. Um, and I was very grateful. We were unstuck. You know, God is our guy with a four-wheel drive truck and tow chains. God is the one who comes along and says, you're stuck. I have what it takes to get you unstuck. Can I pull you out? Let's read together in verses 6 through 10. This is our main text. I love that verse 10 is on the front of your bulletins because this is the the verse that inspired all of this this morning, um, and I'll share more about that as we get further along. But in verse 6 of chapter 2, it says, And God raised us up with Christ. Where was Christ? He'd been raised, right? Where were we? We were dead. For us to be with Christ, we have to be raised up. And it says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. And not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, it's by God's grace, His mighty toe chains, that God hooks Himself to us, our lives, and He raises us up with Christ. We were dead. But again, in verse 5, it says we were made alive in Christ. God's wrath is removed from us and God's grace is placed on our lives. We experience salvation, this gift, the judgment that we once had in front of us was hell. And the judgment that stands before us in Christ is an eternity with, with God in heaven. I want that judgment. I want that stop on the side of the road. How about you? Yeah. It's this amazing gift that's been given to us. It says, we well, didn't do it. We can't earn it. We, we can't. Um, and I'm not going to go into that. Saved by grace through faith. We're, that's a given, right? I want to I move on and talk about the next part of that verse. But again, I want to remind us that we were dead. And we have been raised 
to life with Christ. We have been put above all of the things in this world that drag us down. The only way those things can drag us down is if we let ourselves get hooked up to them. And sometimes, sometimes we, we uh, struggle. But this is the biggest gift under our tree, right? It's the one with the big bow at Christmas time. You wake up Christmas morning, and you see the biggest gift, and that's what we're drawn to, right? We remember going, sometimes in real life it's a bicycle. Sometimes uh, when my son was little, we, we gave him, made the mistake and bought a drum set. Um, <laughs> and he, I remember he ran up and he said, how did he know? And um, it was just a beautiful moment, but that big gift is what draws us. And that's what this salvation, that's what this gift of being raised to life with Christ is. But I have to ask myself, why would a perfect God go to such lengths to save me, save someone like me? He doesn't need us, does he? He's God, right? I'm needy and secure. I get angry easily. I can be prideful. Why do I, why do we get this gift? Why such an amazing display of grace, as Scripture says? The truth is, I don't deserve a giant present. I deserve coal in my stocking, right? If we're being honest with ourselves, the works that we put out on our own, So why? Why does he do this? Paul answers that question for us in verse 10. It says, we are God's handiwork or workmanship. We are God's workmanship, his handiwork. That's a beautiful picture. Now that's that word workmanship or handiwork. It comes uh, from the Greek word poema, which sounds a lot like any guesses? Poem. Now, you can't do that to Greek. You can't take an English word and a Greek word and make a parallel. However, in classical Greek, it is how they translate the word into poem. But biblical Greek scholars will get mad at you for um, making that conclusion. However, a poem is handiwork, isn't it? It is craftsmanship. And so it's not a bad way to remember the idea but literally, the word uh, has a much bigger meaning than that. And so the Greek scholars can get their panties in a bunch if they want. Um, I want to help us get the idea of how God loves us. And so um, we, they can have their day and their, their groanings and moanings. But this idea that we are God's uh, workmanship, is, it's the idea that we are crafted by God with purpose and intention. God built us for a purpose, one at a time. Now... In our mind, it has to be one at a time to really get the full meaning. God can do, you know, like he exists in many times at the same time, right? Um, but we were created with this intention, this purpose. See, we're, we're more than words on a paper. So the Greek scholars are correct. We're more than words on a paper. Um, but we are this complex creation created for his purposes. And if you think about it, in creation story, day six, man and animal, right? Day six, I could sing you the song, but you probably don't want to hear me sing. Um, but day six, God created man, and he looked at it, and he said it was good. No, not good. It was very good. The rest of the creation gets the good designation, so that's good. But uh, man was very good. 
God has a special affinity for humans, uh, which is why the angels had issues, right? Um, and so uh, this uh, amazing uh, designation of very good uh, communicates to us a, a special purpose and a special being. And Adam and Eve weren't just created and said, go have fun in the garden, were they? He gave them a job to do right away, right? They had to take care of things and, and have dominion over the animals and all that. But there is purpose in our very being, in our creation. We're not put on this earth just to survive. We're put on this earth to do God's will and to do God's work. So I want to share a, a, a quick story. I love to do woodwork. I, I'm not great at it, but I'm pretty decent. Probably one of the projects I'm most proud of is my in-laws got a new back porch. I didn't build that. That's way above my pay grade, but um, they wanted some furniture for their back patio, and so I got to build them some cool uh, dining tables. But I also, my favorite thing that I built for them was an oversized porch swing. How many of you like to sit on a porch swing and just let it go? Now, this is the one you can like lay down and take a nap on. Um, it's not quite a twin bed, but pretty close, right? And so you're just swinging on this porch, swinging. Everybody's having a good time. No one has once said, man, I don't like this swing. Everybody that sits on it. We got family pictures on it. We, I mean, it has been used for all kinds of great things. And I was very proud of it, number one, because um, it brings other people joy. It brings other people pleasure. It serves other people and number two, it was actually pretty quality work for, for where I was at the time. And so when I built this porch swing, what do you think I did with it? Did I put it in the garage and store tools on it, which is what most stuff happens in my garage? Like I didn't put it in the side and hide it away and, and stick stuff on it or use it for things it wasn't intended for. We, we hung it and we swing on it and we use it. It was intended to be used and to be seen. And I was proud of the work that I did, and I knew it would serve others well. And that is how God looks at us, his handiwork, his creation. He's proud of us. And he displays his mercy and his grace through us. We are created in love, and he is pleased with us, and he wants to position us to accomplish our intended purposes. You've got to believe that about yourself. You've got to believe that God wants to use you in this world, no matter what your struggles are, no matter what your pain is, no matter how far behind you feel in the curve. You're not alone in your struggles, number one. And number two, God has created you. You are handiwork made with a purpose. Then I love in verse 10, um, and this is kind of the verse that inspired me, to uh, preach out of Ephesians chapter 2. It says that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God wants us porch swings to swing, right? He didn't create us to sit docile or to doubt ourselves or to live in fear or to be afraid to accomplish what He has gifted us and prepared us to do. He wants us to swing. To fulfill our created purpose. And, and it says that he is 
uh, prepared these good works in advance for us to do. You know what that means? We should find great joy in this. We can't screw it up. We can't mess it up. It's already laid out for us to do. It's like buying a Lego set with the instructions there already. The only way you can mess that up is to not do it. This is a loving God who is preparing us to do good works. And he's prepared them for us to, to do. I'm, I, again, I'm reminded um, of our, our trip to Colorado this, this past, I guess it's two weeks now. We got home a week ago Sunday. We had the opportunity to go on some hiking trails, walk down the Colorado River. The Colorado River, even in the summertime, is very cold. Just want you to know, um, but not too cold to get into. But we, uh, we walked, walked on these walking trails. and It was just an amazing, amazing view. Um, everything was just beautiful. You looked around, the flowers, the trees, everything was amazing. These trees in this picture, it's, um, I, I do want to share this because we learned this on the trip. They're aspens. The, the leaves are shaped a certain way, so it looks like they're glittering in the wind. But they don't grow um, their roots are all connected. They grow in these big flowers, and they grow from the from other roots. They grow up. You don't plant seeds. They anyway. That's cool. It's like the body of Christ, right? We're all connected. What we do affects the next thing. Anyway, that's a different sermon. But uh, again, really cool those aspens, and we we talked about them a lot uh, during this week. But we went hiking on these trails, and as we walked the trails, they were cut out for us. Right, they, sometimes they would have little stones on the side. Uh, sometimes they were roped off. But mostly they were just these dirt paths that would take us to certain designations, certain locations. And again, we, uh, one time I got kind of a dirty look from one of the, we went on this train ride and the conductor had to stop on the side of the mountain and get off at a certain space, spot. And I was just tempted to go into these groves down the mountain. And I went kind of out of bounds, so to speak. He gave me a dirty look. I had to go back up the mountain. But I am not a mountain climber. God has not equipped me with the body to cover long distances or climb steep things. When we went up the trail to uh, Red Rocks, I, I thought I was going to die before I got. And it was a, one of those winding walkways. It wasn't even mountain climbing. But anyway, I, I am not a mountain climber. I'm not equipped to climb mountains. I'm equipped to roll down them. Um, <laughs> And that wasn't my goal for this trip. And so, again, if I decided to stay on this path that was prepared for me, I got to experience the beauty of God's nature, of the mountains, of what God had planned for me, if I stayed on this path that was prepared for me. But if I, I wandered off, I ran the risk of rolling down the mountain, or um, getting hurt, or having an ambulance ride, which wasn't um, one of my goals for the week either. And this is what it's like to have our works prepared in advance for us. There's a path that's set for us. And we find that path in Scripture. We find that path in our giftings. We find that path in the skills that God has equipped us with. And we need to stop and we need to look at those things to find what that path is. And I will say, for some of us, there are times we might um, be less handy than others. We might uh, have a little rebellious nature or 
take some missteps. We're very intrigued by the beautiful flowers at the top of the mountain or the bottom of the mountain that's not on the trail. And we have some missteps. Um, and this is where we need to remember. So what we see in verse 11 here. We need to remember, number one, that we were once dead and apart from Christ. We can't walk back to that place. It's not meant for us. We have been raised up. And when we try to go to those places, we try to walk away and apart from God's will get off the path. It gets really uncomfortable. And it gets really hard. And so one of the best ways for us to stay on that path is to remember that we were once dead and apart from Christ. That God raised him up. Say it. God raised him up. And we need to be raised up. Right? We need to be raised up and brought to life. Set to Christ's level. The second thing that helps us when we want to get off track, we want to get off the path, is to remember that we have been rescued. You think I'm ever going to drive up an icy road without chains on my tires again? No. No, I will not. I don't want to go through that again. I have been rescued. We are no longer in a hopeless existence. We have been given life by God's grace through Christ. And the third thing I want us to remember in those moments is that we are God's handiwork created with purpose in mind. God built us and designed us for purpose. And when we walk in that purpose, we experience success and we experience joy. And when we walk away from God, it's time to repent, right? Repent just means to turn around and walk towards God. It doesn't mean to feel super, super sorry for what you did, which is what the idea most of us carry around. That means we need to turn and walk towards Christ. This is the purpose. This is the purpose is to do good works. And I like this. If we're doing good, we can't be doing bad, right? If you're doing good, you can't be doing bad. There's a, a quick story. I know I'm probably going over time. They don't have a clock in the back, but they probably should. Um, probably for Mark, too. But, um, there was a, a young boy. He uh, had a twin brother who had died. He got sick and passed away. And this young man had gone into a severe depression. I might have shared this story before if I have. Uh, just listen anyway. Um, uh, he'd gone into a depression, and he wasn't coming out of it. They'd taken him to doctors several years, uh, therapists, nothing they could try. Finally, one doctor said, so here's 20 bucks. Go to the store, buy some cookie mix, start making cookies. And so... If I took my child to a therapist for depression, and that is the diagnosis I got from the doctor, I would not be happy. But this, these parents have been fighting this for two years, right? They were desperate, so they were gonna try anything. Um, and so they bake cookies, and this, this young man gets this idea that he would sell these cookies in, in, in memorial for his brother. And now you can buy these cookies online. It's a booming business. And this kid has come out of this depression. And he is making a lot of money selling cookies. But he's remembering his, his brother. If you're busy doing good, you can't be doing bad. Right? Fortunately for me and that group of teens in the van, 
and the adults with me and my lovely wife, someone came along to rescue us. And we were pulled out of a sticky, hopeless situation. We were stuck. And it's time to get unstuck, right? Today we all have a chance to receive God's grace and be pulled from whatever sticky situation life is throwing at us. So today, some may need rescuing for the first time. Some of you may have not submitted your life to Christ. And you need to be pulled from a hopeless existence. Or maybe you don't feel hopeless. Maybe you just don't understand what it is to be separated from Christ. Dead, not dead, right? Something's got to bring those two to the middle, and we can't do it. God has to raise us up. So I would encourage you today to put your faith in Christ and become a part of God's family. And allow God to raise you up with Christ. Some may be rescued. Some may have the toe chains hooked up and you're on the path or you stepped over the boundary lines and you're looking around like, that's a beautiful mountain around me. Let's go do some exploring off of God's path. But I just want to encourage you, if that's where you are, remember. Remember those three things that we talked about. Realize that you can't live apart from Christ. Let's choose to get back on that path. Let's live and truly be successful. And for some of you, your eyes are firmly fixed on Christ. You're walking joyfully on the path that God has chosen for you. And for those, I pray that for continued blessings, continued wisdom, and God's revelation in your life to embrace the good works that He has prepared for you. So whatever is stirring inside of you this morning, I encourage you to respond to your Redeemer and to your Creator as we sing.